0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Uh, Glad to be back in person. Glad that we're healthy and able to uh, see each other face to face. It's a blessing. Um, Before we get started, why don't we go before the Lord and say a quick word of prayer uh, and ask for his help as we come to study his word. Let's pray. Almighty Lord, we give thanks and we praise your holy name because you are good. You are complete and you are working in us to mold us into the people that you desire us to be. As we come to learn, Lord, may you work in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to not create barriers between our heads and our hearts, but to allow uh, your demands, your commands, and your character uh, to flow into our own hearts that we might seek to imitate and model you. Be with us by your Spirit, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I don't remember, I remember. I don't know if you remember uh, where we're at, um, but a quick recap we've been talking about the Christian virtues. Uh, we've been talking about who are who does God want us to be? What kind of people uh, does God desire us to be? Uh, so we looked at Deuteronomy 6.4. This is one of the most important passages in Scripture where it says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Uh, and we boiled this down to uh, God calling us to love him with our minds, uh, with our hearts, and with our lives. Right? We love the Lord with how we think about things, uh, how we uh, approach life. We think about, uh, we love the Lord with our hearts, with our emotions, with our desires, with our hopes. Um, and in a couple of weeks, we'll get to talk about loving God with our lives. Right? What is that, all that put together? What does that look like uh, in our everyday practical lives? Uh, but we're still talking about the heart. What does it mean to love God with our hearts? Uh, And so we've been talking about a couple virtues. Uh, Last time we met, which I think was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I don't remember. um, We talked about temperance, uh, one of the uh, core virtues that Aristotle, that Augustine, that C.S. Lewis talk about. Um, Temperance uh, boiled down to how we apply our liberty as Christians. Right, we have some liberty. God has given us liberty in regards to the things that we eat, the things that we drink, how we spend our time. And temperance is the virtue of applying that liberty to our lives. It's the outflowing of our hearts. And we talked about the fact that Scripture doesn't just say, right, don't get drunk. Scripture says don't get drunk. But that's not the only application of temperance. That's one aspect of it, right? Don't overindulge. But at the same time, we also looked at Paul's passage where he talks about uh, a man-made religion that promises to make you more holy, and all it says is you can't do anything. You can't eat. You can't drink. You can't touch. So you have the two spectrum, right? You have don't overindulge, and then you have the other spectrum, which is asceticism, or cutting off everything that could possibly cause you to stumble in any possible way. And there was an antidote to both aspects right if we are prone to overindulge the antidote is well we need to be self-controlled we need to practice self-control we need to practice temperance and applying our liberty in this way but if we're of more of the mind that we need to cut off all bodily pleasures because those are going to lead us to stumble no there's actually an antidote to that as well that's not the correct way the correct way is through gratitude it is possible right to eat and drink to the glory of god and we do it by being grateful By being thankful to God. And that's how we can uh, avoid falling into that pitfall. Um, And then lastly, we talked about how Christian liberty, when you blow it down, Paul says we are called to lay our liberty down for the good of other people. That is the heart of temperance. right? It's not just about what can I get away with or what am I allowed to indulge in. Temperance is about how do I lay my liberty down for the sake of someone else? How do I love others uh, and be the kind of person that God wants me to be? And so that's about the heart, right? That's our hearts coming through in our lives. So now we're going to talk about a different virtue, uh, another virtue of the heart, um, one that is often misunderstood and often misapplied. Um, it's the virtue of joy. Uh, So we're going to talk about joy today. (coughs) I'm so sorry. Uh, There's a couple of things that we can say on the outset, right? The first thing that we can say about joy is that it's commanded. Scripture commands us as believers, as Christians, to be joyful. Uh, James 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's a, that's a command, to consider uh, trials a joyful thing, to be joyful in the midst of trials. Or Psalm 98 says, With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. That's uh, scripture commanding us to exemplify joy, right? To, to make a joyful noise, to be joyful people. Uh, and that flows out into how we interact with the Lord and how we interact with our circumstances, right? So why are we commanded to be joyful? Why does God want us to be people of joy? What do you think, John? Hope. 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 Okay. Hope of glory. I
1: mean, why wouldn't we be most important question in our life answer Saul. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, yeah. So we've been talking about, we mentioned before, right, that uh, loving God with our hearts means that we have a hope, that you can't talk about loving God with your heart without talking about hope, the hope that we have, uh, not a ephemeral, like, illusory hope, but a hope that's real and true. Dave? Um,
2: I think being joyful expresses appreciation for what God's given us. Okay. You know, yeah for
0: all your blessings. yeah joy is is in a sense a, the correct response to everything that God has done for us all the salvation and the blessings that we experience uh, should push us and drive us to be joyful why else why else are we commanded to be joyful Charlie Right. Yeah, to summarize what Charlie just said, uh, joy is um, responding to our circumstances in the correct way, right? It's it's uh, the means by which we get through trials and endure them because we are looking not for, you know, in our present circumstances, we're not looking to be fulfilled here. We're looking to be fulfilled out there in the objects of our hope, uh, which are, uh, like Scripture tells us over and over again, our hope is sure. The things that we are desiring and waiting for are already ours we don't see them fully realized but if that's our hope right that means that right now we can be joyful regardless of what circumstances we're in so there's a relationship right between joy and circumstances what is it are they completely separate things are they intertwined does one affect the other joy and circumstances what do, what do those have to do with each other We just talked about James 1, 2. Right? Count it all joy when you eat trials. So when we encounter trials in our lives, when our circumstances are, are uh, being conformed in a certain way, here's the proper response. Right? Our circumstances, in other words, don't rule us. We are called to have a response to the circumstances. Do you see how one comes before the other? It's not the circumstance first dictating how we feel. It's us responding. Steve? And it,
2: it wouldn't be having the right understanding of our circumstances. If we look at our circumstances, we're on earth, created by God, who's working all things for the good of making us like His Son, then everything we go through, that's the circumstances we're in. God working in us to make us like His Son. Right look at our circumstances being, you know, I'm oppressed, I don't have enough of this or that, or, you know, I'm sick, you know, know, then
0: our circumstances can get it Right, yeah, it's having the proper understanding of our circumstances, as Steve just said. Uh, The James will go on to say, right, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right? If we're going to have joy in the midst of trials, that means we have to understand that the trial has purpose. Uh, if you believe that life is just kind of meaningless, that stuff just happens to you, um, that you just kind of walk through life and hope that nothing bad happens, or you carry a four-leaf clover so you don't get bad luck, what you're saying right, is that your circumstances are, are purposeless. That in reality, God is not actually in control of what's happening to you. But if you do believe that God's in control, that this has a purpose, that means you can have a response uh, that is correct, that is uh, God-honoring. Because you're seeing that this is not just a meaningless trial, that God is doing something in my heart, something that I'm actually supposed to not stand in the way of. Right? Let steadfastness have its full effect. Don't get in the way of what God is doing through a trial. Uh, and how James talks about testing of your faith, um, we, we kind of think of like, you, okay, you, you go sit down and you take a multiple choice question and do you really trust God or not? That's not what James is saying. What James is saying is that when a metallurgist goes to make gold, what they have to do is they at first have to, to refine the gold. They have to burn off all the impurities. That's the testing of the gold to get rid of all the impurities. That's what God is doing. God is, is using trials in your lives to purify your faith so that all the impurities get washed away and what's left is a purer, more refined uh, faith that is more perfect and complete than when the trial started. That's the goal. So if we respond to our circumstances that are hard with, well, why is God doing this? God must obviously hate me. We've either misunderstood the trial, we've misunderstood God, we've misunderstood what our response is supposed to be. And scripture doesn't just command joy, right? Scripture also gives us lots of positive examples of joy. Uh, Over and over again in the Psalms, it talks about how the psalmist is, is overwhelmed with joy because of what God has done. Or Ecclesiastes, where the preacher says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Ecclesiastes talking about the, the futility of life and, and how the world is broken and nothing seems to work like it should, I guess there's nothing better than to be joyful and to say, well, there's a purpose that I don't understand and it's okay for me to just be joyful in the midst of these of these trials. So another thing we can say about joy is that it's not a product of our circumstances. right? Joy is not something that that just comes about because of circumstances. Because if it was, then how could God command it? God couldn't command it if it depended upon the circumstances of your life. And it also means, like Charlie said, that joy joy has to be a, a conscious effort. It's something active, which means it's more than just an emotion. But what else, what else then could we say? What's the right way to ask it? What is joy then? If it's a conscious effort, right? If it's not a product of our circumstances, it has to do with, it has to do with our emotions somehow, right But it's, it's more than that. What else could it be? Right. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah. So what John is saying is that if we know the Lord, then the proper product that will come out, right, is joy. Uh, I think you can boil that down to saying that joy has to do with our state of mind. Joy has to do with our emotions, but not only our emotions. And joy has to do with our state of mind, but not only our state of mind. And I think there's one other aspect of joy, Um, and I think that's our attitude. I think that covers our response, right? If joy has to do with our emotions, but it also has to do with our state of mind, right? How are we actively conforming ourselves to be joyful people? And then it's also an attitude. It's also a response um, to the circumstances of our life. Uh, it's, It's not looking and being apathetic. It's not looking at life and just being on autopilot. Joy has to be Uh, an active response to what god is doing and that means you have to understand what god is doing right and that means that that will produce the proper outflowing of emotion but let's let's ask this question john you mentioned this a little bit earlier you said of course how can we not be happy as christians but is joy the same thing as happiness why not what's the difference
1: And the last is happiness. Sure. It's fun for a moment, I guess, is what I'd say. But joy is actually from the heart. Mm-hmm. That's something that you learn, you practice, you've been taught through faith in Christ and it comes out. It's a result of it is what I would say still, And it's from the heart.
0: Yeah, happiness is birthday cake. Great in the moment and then deep regret afterwards because you've had six pieces and oh man. Dave.
2: same for us you know we the attitude doesn't come on its own it, it has to be worked at it has to be established by um you know careful study and, and understanding God's word and appreciating what God's done for us uh, understanding our salvation and, and rejoicing in that um but it is an attitude it's, it's it's something that must be maintained the right way
0: interesting that's an interesting analogy that planes can have attitude. I have a question. Can planes be sassy? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I would hate to get a sarcastic airplane. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting analogy, right? We have to keep our hands on the controls in order to have the correct attitude. If you just, you know, autopilot or let your, your emotions run free and your life run free, you're going to do some cartwheels and some flip flips and fly all over the place. Uh, joy has to be something active and involved and something that we are putting effort into. Uh, yeah, I think the what John's point about happiness is exactly right. Uh, when I was in high school, my youth pastor described it like this. Uh, happiness is when you scratch a dog and it starts to wag its tail. Right? It's, it's a product of the circumstance. The dog is happy because you're petting it. And the same for us. When our lives are good, when we have good things, we're enjoying something nice, we're happy. And that's not a bad thing. But it's, it's temporary, right? It's something based upon the circumstance, which is the difference from joy. Because we talked about how joy and circumstance, right, which comes first, joy does. But with happiness, circumstances come first, and those produce an emotion of happiness, uh, And Scripture, interestingly enough, never commands happiness. Scripture never says, right, that you should be happy. Scripture says you should be joyful. And I think that gives a lot of liberty, right, for us as Christians to have emotions that are different than happiness. I don't think that God intended us to be people who plaster a smile on their face and pretend to be happy or force happiness or think that they have to be happy and that if you're not happy, then therefore you're not a good Christian. That's all wrong. God commands joy. And joy is present regardless of your circumstances and even in some cases, regardless of your emotions. Or another way to think about it, right? Here's here's how we can start to apply joy to our lives. Uh, and this is a, a principle I've been thinking about for a year or two. Um, emotions are not neutral. In scripture, it never talks about emotions in just, I don't think it does. I don't think it talks about emotions in just neutral terms, right? That you, they happen to you, you have them, and you just deal with it. Or like how our world will talk about it, right? You have to respect my feelings. If I'm feeling a certain way, that means the truth, right? So if I'm feeling like I'm hurt, therefore someone else is at fault, But our emotions are not neutral. Scripture says that the heart is deceitful above all things, right? That our heart loves to condemn, loves to condemn others, loves to condemn us. And it talks about how we are called to be self-controlled and not be people who are defined by anger, right, wrath, lust, uh, a a whole smorgasbord of emotions that are tilted in the wrong way. So if joy includes your emotions, that means that your emotions are not neutral. And that means that your state of mind is not neutral, and yet your attitudes are not neutral. Either your emotions are oriented towards God and towards the right emotion, or they're oriented towards sin. There's no room in the middle to just say, well, you know, I'm angry, and it's about something that I shouldn't be angry about, but, you know, darn it, I'm angry, and I'm just going to be angry. Or we think that it's okay for us to feel certain things and we have no control over our emotions. But emotions are not neutral. Maybe we have control, maybe we don't. But that doesn't mean that they are automatically sinless just because we can't control them. So here's an example, right? Anger. We think of anger mostly in bad terms, right? If we think of an angry person as someone who's... It's hard to be around someone who you don't want to be around, someone who blows up unexpectedly or who's wrathful. Uh, you never want to get on their bad side. right? But there's a way to orient anger correctly. There is a correct kind of anger. We know this because Paul will say, be angry and do not sin. There is a way to be angry and not sin. There is a way for our emotion of anger to be correctly ordered. And so either our anger is correctly ordered or it's not. And scripture is very clear that this is bad and this is good. So there are different ways, right? Maybe we're angry because of sin and evil. Maybe we're angry because of injustice uh, or corruption. Or we're angry because uh, we have the right to be angry in certain situations. Someone stabs us in the back or, or betrays our trust. That doesn't mean that we turn that anger into judgment and wrath. But there is a way for us to be angry in in a God-honoring way. And it's to have the same desires as God. God gets angry. He gets angry with sin. He gets angry with evil. He gets angry when his people disobey him time after time after time. And maybe we need to be modeling those same desires angry at her own sin, angry that sin exists in the world and that people's lives are broken because of it. Anyways, I think the same is true of of other emotions, right? Emotions such as happiness uh, or love or sorrow, frustration, right? These all have correct ways and sinful ways. We can be sinfully happy. We can be happy when someone else falls into misfortune can be happy when we get our way after manipulating somebody else right we can be happy in, in sinful ways too our emotions are not just neutral and that means that joy the application of joy is we have to be constantly orienting our emotions towards god and towards what is right because if we're being ruled by our emotions we are not being joyful people It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to, to feel emotions. It's not okay to be ruled by sadness. It's not okay to be ruled by happiness or the pursuit of happiness. So that's, I think, the application of joy towards our emotions. John. John. Yeah. Um, I mean, what jumps to my mind is Paul saying to the Galatians, "Foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you?" I think I think there's some anger behind Paul's words, right, where he's saying, "Why are you not understanding? What is what is stopping you from actually understanding the gospel? You're not getting it." Um, I think there's probably some frustration there with Paul. Ch- Charlie, did you have your hand up? Yeah, I think uh, Moses' actions were right because Israel had broken the covenant. And so Moses says, well, you broke the covenant, so you know these are worthless. Yeah, that's a good example. I'm not sure I can think of, I didn't spend much time thinking about it. Um, they exist, but they're usually, there's not a lot of them. Yeah. I'm not sure that we need to set out like a formula of, okay, here's the line right that you cross. I think it's, sure. Can I... Yeah, of course. I
2: think something that's helpful for me when I'm trying to govern
1: my emotions is reading the Psalms, because there's a lot of emotion in the Psalms, and there's a lot of anger and despair and sadness. And all of the Psalms, I think, except for one, are able to bring that back to God's Through our pity party, we got it out, we told God how we felt, and now we're
0: back, so we need to be. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a couple of times where the Psalms will say, like, I hate those who do evil. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate those that you hate, God. And for us, it's like, <laughs> how can you hate in a right way? Uh, it's It's hard for us to imagine because it's usually tied up with our own sin and pride Um, but i think right if we're applying joy to our lives it means taking an honest look at our emotions and saying is this actually right am i right to be feeling this way am i right to be sad right now or am i just sad because i didn't get what i want Uh, am i right to be angry or am i just is my pride been hurt and i i want to lash out these are The questions that we need to be asking ourselves when we think about joy and we think about what does it mean to be joyful people? Being joyful doesn't mean you have to always be happy or that you have to always be smiling. Sometimes joy looks like grief. Joy looks like tears. And you don't have to look further than Jesus. Yeah, Peter. Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, uh, Jesus wept right he he knew right that Lazarus was going to come back to life. he knew that Lazarus was with the Lord, right that yes, he had died but his soul lives on, and yet he wept there's a sense where his emotions were he was not just depressed or despairing but truly grieved at. The presence of death in the world and that his friend was gone.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Charlie, what do you have then? So I want to move away from only thinking of joy as a happy emotion. That's that's part of what I'm trying to communicate that when we think of joy, what we think is birthday party. Right? We think of balloons and celebration and and happiness and smiles. I'm trying to move away from that. I'm trying to say there's joy has to do with emotions, right? But it is not about it is not an emotion. Joy is an attitude, which means that You can have grief and be joyfully grieving, if that makes sense. So, oh, Elaine. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, I think I think you're hitting on some really good stuff, right? Joy being the opposite of our state of sin and misery. So that's what we were before God came into our lives—miserable, dead in our sin, right? Joy is the opposite. It's life. It's it's not depression and misery. It's I have a hope that is uh, is built upon the cross. That means it's sure. That means it's never going away. That means it belongs to me. Right? That has to produce joy. Um, Would
2: it be accurate to say that joy it has a purpose? Right? I mean, that emotions and things like that, they, they sort of just happen you when know, we go along through those, but joy, because it's an attitude and a conscious decision that has a purpose, and that is to recognize what God's given us in salvation, as Lynn was pointing out, and, and um, giving God the
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think Dave is saying that um, joy has a purpose, right? That there's there's something, there's a goal toward, uh, a goal of joy. That it's not just something that's happening to us. It's something that we're pursuing. Um, So it's interesting that Charlie brings up grief and sorrow as though they weren't a a virtue. Um, In two weeks, we're going to talk about the virtue of sorrow. Um, because we have a whole book in the Bible about lament, called Lamentations. Um, and I think it's actually a, uh, the virtue of sorrow is present in us as believers, um, and should be present in us as believers. If there isn't an aspect of lament in your life, um, Maybe you should ask the question, do you really understand sin and brokenness and the depths of your sin and the consequences of sin and, uh, and grieving at the, the death and devastation that's going on in the world? Like, How can we look at what's happening in Kazakhstan and not, be, not lament that people are being killed in the streets, shot at by Russian military, and the government turns off the Internet so that they can't get out? Right? How can we not be lamenting these things? John. there isn't if there isn't love in your life then no you're not going to be sorrowful or lament because you don't care yeah it's it's a pretty powerful verse and and something that strikes at any of our assumptions right about what it means to be a christian like if jesus can weep then so can i uh, so so what I'm trying to do is, is kind of pull us away from thinking of joy as only an emotion, right? Can you grieve and be joyful at the same time? Yes. Are they the same thing? Um, no, there's aspects that are connected, but I don't think they're the exact same thing. Yeah, Peter.
3: So, so to that, what you just said, what does it mean to count something as joy? Why would
0: James use those? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think James is, is saying, um, when you meet these trials... Here's the response that you must have. Here's the attitude that you have to exhibit. That when you come to a trial, right, what's your default? This is terrible. Or God hates me. Or I don't want to go through this. And James says, no, there's a purpose to the trial. And understanding that purpose should lead you to this response, to this attitude. Saying, I am not governed by my circumstances, I am called to respond in the right way, and that response is joy. It's to consider this something that is good and a blessing and something to actually be, to rejoice about. When you say attitude, you mean
1: in the sense of a possibility that assume,
0: not something that happens to us like that. Right. Yeah, I'm not talking about being, whether you're grumpy or whether you're like, eh, yeah, life's good. But like, how are you respond? If something happens to you, you do, You respond in a certain way, whether you are in control of that response or not is up to you, right? You could just let yourself feel or have whatever attitude you want. Or, like we've been talking about emotions and state of mind and attitude this whole time, joy is the conscious conforming all of that to what God says is true. Conforming our emotions, conforming our state of mind, conforming our attitude to what God says is true. Yeah. It's taking our thoughts captive, but the heart. Right? Take your heart captive. Take your emotions captive. Take your attitude captive. If you wake up in the morning and you're grumpy, take that captive. Right? Don't just rely on your morning coffee. Right? But take that captive to Christ. I've I've had to do that, especially when you know Solo wakes up seventeen times in the middle of the night. It's hard when I wake up and I've had a lot not enough sleep to take that attitude captive. Uh, the same is true for, for us when we go through trials. Um, we're almost out of time, which is good. Um, I always worry that I don't have enough, and then you guys consistently make me proud. Um, here's, here's the last little thing that I want to say before we close. Um, it's, it's the answer to the question, right, where does joy come from? If you want to grow in joy, you want to be a joyful person, what needs to happen? Um, and it's not just, okay, you need to read the Bible more. That's true. If Gary was here, that's the first thing he would say. Right? We need to read our Bible and we need to pray. That's absolutely true. Um, but I want you to think about it like this. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about it like this. He said, if you want to be warm, right, go sit by a fire. If you want to be wet, go jump in some water. If you want to be joyful... Immerse yourself in the things of God. Get close to the source of joy. That is where your joy will come from. Right? It's not something that you will achieve. It's not a work that you need to do in order for God to love you. Joy is, It comes about when we immerse ourselves in the Lord, uh, going to him meditating on his word, spending time in prayer, spending time with other people, with other believers, right? And and letting them encourage you when you're going through trials, letting them point you back to what is true. Uh, and that also means, right, that if you are turning yourself, if you are getting all of your joy from the things of the world, it will be extremely short-lived, it will be extremely cheap uh, and superficial joy that won't last. It's not... The joy we're looking for—we're looking for the Lord's joy that will flow out from knowing Him, Charlie.
3: So, inversely, because I was curious about this, even though we running out of time, is that then the answer to the question why aren't we joyful? It's because we're not immersed in the things of God. Enough. That
0: really that's that's part of it. Yeah. Um. Yes. If we are immersing ourselves in the things of the world, don't expect yourself to be joyful. Because you're not getting what you need from the source. If you're immersed in the Lord, that will lead to joy. Um, Other reasons why we aren't joyful is is because we let our emotions rule us. right? We believe our circumstances have more power than they do. Stuff like that. Um, But ultimately, right, when we think about joy and we think about immersing ourselves in the Lord, what does that look like? It means going to the cross, looking to Jesus... Uh, looking to what he has done for us, that he is he gave up everything that he had, as Paul will say in Philippians for the joy that was set before him. There was a joy that Jesus had when he went to the cross, and when we look to the cross as well, we will see that same joy, and that 's where our source comes from, and by his grace, we will become more joyful people when we trust him and we would go to him and immerse ourselves in God Um, and may that be true of all of us that we may become more joyful people Uh, we're out of time um, but why don't we pray as we close up our time Father in heaven we give thanks and we praise your holy name truly there are none who are like you you are alone God you alone teach us the secret things that you have revealed to men through your word It's by your spirit alone that we have life. Lord, teach us to be joyful. Teach us to respond to our trials with joy. Teach us, Lord, to conform our emotions and our attitudes and our state of mind to you, to the cross. And Lord, may our joy spill out into each other, that we may lift each other up, encouraging each other, admonishing one another in the Lord that we may grow as a joyful community, seeking you above all. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen.